morning. Y'all are looking good. And it's a pretty day outside. It's going to be nice. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, if you'd like to turn there. But before we get into the text, let's, uh, let's have our prayer, prayer together, please. Father, we humbly come before you this morning, lifting up to you our hearts, our voices, our lives. We want you to be honored and glorified for all that you've done, for who you are. And we know, Father, that you have given us so much good, especially through Jesus. Father, we know that you have, through Christ, given us peace, that you brought us back to you. But we ask for your help, Father, in being able to live out that peace you've given us. Help us, Father, to trust you, to put our hearts at peace. And help us, Father, to be a people who live out who you've made us to be, to bring peace into this world. Father, we, we need your help every day for this. And we look to you knowing that you're faithful to your promises. I'm grateful. I'm grateful, Father, for Jesus. For it's through him that we pray. Amen. Of all the people through the pages of the Bible that y'all think about being examples of faith, I can let y'all think about some of those as you go along. One of them that's, uh-oh, there we go. One of them that's, uh, that's uh, brought up over and over again is David. Because when you look at David, now when Saul was king, God gave the message to Saul, said, I've already chosen somebody else it's, Got a, a heart. I, I've already got my words all mixed up. Y'all, y'all have to excuse me. You want you want to come up and help me? Um, a man after God's own heart. So after his own heart. There we go. There's where I am. And so you know he was he was telling Saul that you missed the boat, and he was looking forward to David and who David was. And then a, a little bit later, there in First Samuel, when he's talking to Saul, he says a, a man better than you even. And so that idea that David being a man after God's own heart really is a profession that, what do we expect out of David? What do we expect to happen? Who do, how do we expect him to live? How do we expect him to treat other folks? You know, that, that's a pretty high praise coming from God, isn't it? Okay, how many of y'all would love to have God refer to you as being someone after his own heart? Now, that's, that's something, isn't it? That just really jumps out. And so when we get into the second Samuel... All right, either my remote is dead or we've got to, we're out of whack. Uh, when we get to first, well, first Samuel, God anoints David, has Samuel anoint David to be the next king, and so he's made this promise of that one day that David will be king. And David isn't one to take it on himself and to go, I'll take care of this myself. I'll take out Saul. I'll get to be king. God made him king, right? He anointed him, but David was always when God wants to take Saul out, God will do it. 
And so he made this promise in 1 Samuel 16 that he's anointed. He said, one day you will be king. We get up to 2 Samuel, and he, he, God keeps that promise. When Saul and David have been killed on the battlefield, when, David, when Saul, killed, no, Saul and Jonathan, when Saul and Jonathan die there on that battlefield, when Saul uh, kills himself, when Jonathan is killed, then we find David next, pretty much set up to become who God said he was. So in chapter 2, the people of Judah come up, take him. Uh, he goes back to Judah. The people of Judah come there, and they crown him king over the tribe of Judah. He's not king over all of Israel because Ishbosheth uh, is, is crowned king of Israel. But David has begun to take steps to become king. Now, he did, they have a civil war. But he doesn't push the issue, does he? He doesn't go out and try to kill him, Ishbosheth himself. Now we get to chapter five, after Ishbosheth, you know, the king of Israel, is put to his die, is murdered. Then the people of Israel come to David and they say, "Okay, look, you're the one God chose. We know that, and he's crowned king over all of Israel." And we find now, Second Samuel is the description of how David becomes king. That the man after God's own heart now is, is over God's people. And when you think about it, what would it be like? What would the nation of Israel be like going from Saul, who really struggled in keeping his focus on God, to David, who is a man after God's own heart? How much different is it going to be? What's the nation going to be like? What, what are the people going to do? What, how is this going to play out? Because you would think now with David as king, things are going to be something special as they go along. Now, th- there are some things that happen. That are expected, but when you start looking over Second Samuel, what you see is that really David's reign as king is pretty much a mess in all kinds of ways. That things don't just line up all perfectly well, and everything goes goes wonderfully well, and everybody is just doing what God wants, and and everything is just as it ought to be. We find out that even with David as king, a man after God's own heart, that there are so many things that just go out of whack that David could have taken care of. Or that we're either out of his control, but just as king, you would think things should come together better. So one of the things that you would expect to happen is when you have a change in king during this time, you have a change in ruler of any kind, that then the other nations who are under the thumb of that nation or other surrounding nations would take advantage of that and think this is a time of weakness. And so they would try to do something. So the Philistines in chapter 5, they rise up and they, they try to go kill David. David hides, but then David goes out. He, he, he defeats him in battle. The second time he goes out, he defeats him in battle. But when you start looking through the book of 2 Samuel, one thing that happens over and over again is we have a lot of battles going on. We have a lot of armies clashing. We find, we find all kinds of things. This would be a very bloody movie if it was ever put on the screen because of what, what goes on there. Now, those are the kind of things that you would expect during that time. But one of the main, the, when you start looking into Second Samuel, what you find is there are a lot of things that are out of whack because this isn't what God wants. First off, when David in chapter 16 and 18, David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. Now, read over that slowly. Who's the enemy? David's army marches out. To fight Israel. In Second Samuel, one thing that happens, it isn't just the Philistines and the Ammonites and Amorites and all these other surrounding nations that are giving them problems. They have civil war that kicks up. Well, the beginning with Ishbosheth, I'm going to start saying, I'm going to call him Ishi or something because I am stumbling over his name. Ishbosheth and the people of Israel and David and Judah, they have civil war during that time before David becomes king overall. 
And you kind of see how that would come together. But here later on, we find, again, we find that civil war taking place. Not just with, with uh, we find David and Absalom having go, uh, conflict with each other. We find um, Shimei. We find, you know, we find all these things going on where within the nation, you have people rise up and that you have this civil war where you have brother and brother fighting each other. This is, this is not something that God would have in mind. This is not something God would want. But we find them in conflict with each other as a nation. In, in the middle of that, it's not just as a groups, but also individually. Now, we talk about Joab. Now, Abner had sided with Ishbosheth. Hey, there we go. I'll get it before we're done. Ishbosheth. And so Abner comes over and says, I tell you what, I'll help get things settled out. And we'll reunite the nation and we'll make things right. But Joab comes up and he murders him. When David has given him protection, brought him into the city, talked to him, sent him off to take care of things, Joab kills him. Joab murders uh, Amasa. Joab, mur- you know, he, he is not one to, to take lightly to other folks in that he is the one causing all kinds of problems. And so, and then Ishbosheth, ah, hey, it's coming off now. When Ishbosheth, at the end of his reign, he is murdered by two men who thought they were doing a favor to David. And so in the middle of all that David has going on, we have murders taking place. And Joab is like he doesn't ever do anything about Joab to take care of what he has going on. But we have murder going on. We have, we have, uh, have all these Am- Ammon. Am- now, Ishbosheth was easy. Comp- now, we have Ammon, the son of David. Falls in love with his sister, half-sister. And is overwhelmed with desire for and rapes her. And there was where Absalom kills his brother in revenge. But we have this going on that, that not just the matter of murder and all these kind of things, but we have, have rape going on. We can talk about Bathsheba and, and David as well in that category. But then the, after the rape, Amnon is, is uh, there with Absalom. And Absalom gets revenge and kills his own brother to take revenge in that. This is not a pretty picture as you go along in this. Also, we have Absalom... Rising up in rebellion against his father and, and working things in, in things. He was down to the gate telling people, you know, if I was in charge, this is what I would do. And getting people to think, you know, Absalom would be a better king than David. And there's where things just fall apart for David because Absalom comes in and stirs up all kinds of problems. And so as we look at all those things come together, we start. And there's so many more because this isn't all of them. You go to Second Samuel and you've got all kinds of things going on. It takes us all morning to talk about all of them. But David, a man after God's own heart, is in a nation where you have all these terrible things going on over and over and over again. And the thing about this, humanity, this is what we do. This is what they did. I guarantee if you talk to any of these folks that did these things, if you talk to Joab about the murders he committed, he would have a good reason for why he did if you talk to Amnon about why he, what he did to his sister, I would guarantee he would have a wonderful reason why he did that to his sister. When you talk about all these things that went on, every one of them could, could justify their actions. And that's what we tend to do when you start looking at that. So Abner, no, Joab, before he kills Abner, he tells David, why did you let him go? He's going he's gonna to report back to what we're doing and they'll have an advantage against us. It sounds so right, doesn't it? We've got to kill him because... He just, he knows our secrets now, and we've got to make sure we, don't, we aren't weak. But the reality is, he wanted to kill Abner because Abner had killed Joab's brother in battle. And so he was trying to get revenge for that. But even then, it sounds like that ought to be something that, that sounds right on the surface. Abner, 
I, I bet you his excuse would be he can't help himself. He can't help himself. That's why he raped his sister. I wonder if David would have said the same thing. I just couldn't help myself in regards to Bathsheba. But you hear the excuse that's given. It's, it's almost like the reasoning given take, took the control out of the hands of the people involved. When you start looking at all these things, some of them sounded like they, they were just what ought to be. When Absalom has Amnon killed, he would just say he was, he was making things right. He was making things right. Look what he did to my sister. I'm going to make things right. And all of these reasonings going on in the scripture reading, talking about moving the Ark of the Covenant, and they put it up on the, the cart, the new cart, as they were going along. I guarantee that if you'd ask David, what are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? He said, we're moving it to Jerusalem because we want to honor God. But something was lacking in there. And so when we look at all of these things that go on, the reality is that every, every person that committed these wrongs could give a great excuse, a great justification for what they had done. And it's probably a good thing that we don't do that, do we? Isn't that what every person that's ever lived and ever will? The reason we do what we do, pretty much we've got a good line of justification why we did that. Do you know why we talk about somebody behind their back? We've got a good reason for it. I'm sure. You know why we, we, we tell something that's not the truth? If you ask us, we'll, we've got a good reason for it. You take anything we've got going on in life that we know we shouldn't do, or we'll turn it around where it sounds like it, it's the right thing to do. Well, I needed to tell that lie because. And so we justify it and we put it together. And so we look at Second Samuel and we watch all of these terrible things going on, but we have to remember behind all of that, are their intentions that would sound so good and sound so right if you listen to what they had to say? And for us in our lives that we'll go through and we, we know, we know how, why we do what we want to do. We have that justification in our mind. That's why we went and did it. We had good intentions. Our desire was right. Our desire was good. And the reality was if we looked at anybody else around us that did the same thing, we'd be telling them how wrong they were as opposed to what we had going on. Now, the thing about that is eventually the truth comes out. When David uh, and, uh, did what he did to Bathsheba, it's like the, it's watching a train wreck in slow, slow motion as you watch it all come together. Because it's not just a matter of what he did in that moment. I mean, then he puts, has Uriah where he's, he dies in battle. He might as well have just carried the sword or, or shot the arrow himself to bring that to an end. Every, everything he did was to, for himself... That whole process was all about him. That's the reason we had Uriah brought in, so that he would, wouldn't look bad, where he wouldn't have to give an account for what he had done. And then as you watch, you see the, the wheels come off, because Amnon comes right after that, and Absalom killing him, and Absalom's a rebellion, and all the baby, well, before that, even the baby loses his life. And all these things happen, in, and, and you look at the mess of Second Samuel, and what you realize is that when what David did had consequences that went on. The truth of what was, no matter what he may have justified about it, no matter what he explained about it, it was, it was brought out pure and simple. The truth and the consequences of what he did was right there. And when you look at every, all, all these things, now you would think Joab got off easy because he, he killed Abner. Nothing was done. 
Amasa, nothing was done, or it seemed like. And what happens? You get to to First Kings, and Joab gets the consequences for his actions from Solomon. We get the uh, the two fellows who killed Ishbosheth, and and they, what the, what they did, and what they brought, they brought uh, and reported. That they had killed Ishbosheth because they knew this is what David wanted to have happen. And what happens to them? They got the punishment. They were put to death because of what they had done. And, we, and when you go down the line of everything, Amnon raping his sister ended up in his death. Absalom and all that he did in his rebellion and every step of the way ended up in his death. On and on and on. The reality is no matter what reasoning they had in their own minds and what went on, there were consequences that came about that they couldn't have stopped. And I think for all of us, it's easy for me to look at, at what goes on in the, in the world around me and go, why, didn't, why isn't something being done about this? But it's a little bit harder for me to look at my own life and go, do I want the consequences of what I'm choosing to do? No matter how much I feel right about it, do I want the truth to come out about what's going on in my life? And we've got to make a choice about that. So the consequences eventually catch us. Now, I, it almost sounds like in Second Samuel that David was a mess, and no matter being a man after God's own heart, he comes out looking bad all the way through Second Samuel. He doesn't. Because you start digging through there, and what you find for David is that no matter all this mess around him, we still find that good heart being revealed all along the way. And so when you think about the murders and the, the rapes and you talk about the rebellion and the civil war and you talk about every, all these things that go on, you come back and what you find is that David, his good heart is seen in how he, he, he values people. It's seen in how he trusts God, even though there are moments he stumbles. You know, when Abner was murdered, no, this is chapter one, sorry. When Saul and Jonathan died, do you know what David did? He didn't throw a party celebrating because now he's going to be king. They mourned. They grieved over the loss. Now you would think somebody, Saul has been hunting him down all the way through almost all of 1 Samuel. Every time he turned around that Saul was trying to kill David. Now when Saul dies, David mourns. Jonathan, his friend, when he dies, David mourns. And they could see how he valued people. When Abner in chapter 3 after Abner's been, been murdered by Joab, David comes up and he makes Joab and everybody tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and walk in mourning in front of Abner. And so they, they all there for the funeral procession of Abner. They all mourned and grieved because Abner should not have been put to death that day. He should not have died. And it was wrong. And so on and on we see David mourning those who have, who have lost their lives. And so that says a lot about what's going on in his heart. We find David, he made a promise to Jonathan. Remember Jonathan and David making promises to each other? And so we get to chapter 9, and, and David's like, is there anybody left that I can show kindness? Any of his family, I'm going to show kindness to them for Jonathan's sake. And that's where Mephibosheth comes in. And David cares for him. Not because he has to. Nobody made him, but he chose to because he, of how much... Jonathan mattered to him. And so he cared for Mephibosheth, took him into his own home and provided for him as he went along. And it says so much about what went on with David. And one of the hard things, we have uh, Shimei 
I think I reversed the name a while ago. Uh, when, when David is fleeing Absalom from Jerusalem, he's, he's being cursed. Dirt and rocks thrown at him. And they're like, let's go up here. And you know, his men are saying, let's put him to death. And, and David's like, no. I mean, God may have told him to do this. But either way, whatever happens, he didn't put him to death. He said, this, this may just be something that I deserve. It may just be something that God can see this and, and take pity on me. But he was not going to put Shimei to death for his curses. And you think, now that would be a spot where he ought to, isn't it? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you do that to somebody who was doing like the, this fellow was doing? But David, David didn't see it that way. David saw the person and still provided that care. David also, one thing that he did well most of the time was asking God what he should do before he did it. There's a mistake that when they moved the Ark of the Covenant the first time, they didn't ask about what they needed to do, did they? But here, before they go up to, uh, he goes up to become king, he asks God, should I go to Judah or not? God says yes. Before, in chapter 5, before the, when the Philistines threaten them, David says, should I go and attack them? God says yes. Again, the second time, should I go? And God tells him what to do and says yes. And so David at least had his ear toward God in most of the circumstances. And so that that made a difference in what went on. He was trying to honor God. When David is confronted with the truth of of Bathsheba and what he had done, and that Nathan tells him, you're the man, you're the one who did this. David shows his heart in being broken and repentant for what had happened. It's... It's easy for us to justify our actions, but to feel sorrow for what we've done is wrong is such such a big step. And it shows so much of what go, is going on within us when we're able to do that. Chapter 24, at the end, David gets the idea. He's been tempted to count all of his fighting men. The problem with that is he wasn't trusting God. He was trying to see how big an army he had as opposed to what God had in mind for him. And so in the, in the plague that went on, God finally, I mean, uh, David finally said, no, this was my fault. Don't, don't do this. And so the plague is stopped, but he wanted to build an altar where, where it was stopped. And it was somebody else's land. And the guy there said, go ahead and take it. Take whatever you need. And David said, I'm not going to sacrifice to God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And you think about the heart that comes with that, that the idea that I would not want to do anything for God that didn't have, for me, some kind of cost. It's easy for us to give what's not ours. It's easy for us to do that doesn't have any cost to it. But David knew that for his faith, for what he chose to do, to be meaningful, that it needed to come from what he had. It needed to have a cost to it as well. And so when we we look at all of that, we know that no matter what went on, that his heart still came out in those instances, how he valued people, how he, how he trusted God. And I think for us, we're, we're a mixed bag just like David. That when we have our, our excuses, our justifications for our wrongs, we can see that. But there's also in us that good, where we choose things that are good and right, where we choose and we value other folks and we, we honor God with what we do. And it, we have to acknowledge those things as well. 
But I think one of the hardest challenges for us is, is this. There's I uh, read a story about a fellow in France. He, he was, I can't remember how old he was. I think he was about 70. Wasn't old yet. But uh, he started talking to his family about, he kept seeing some strange man in his house that looked a lot like him. They would copy him and do the same things he did in his mirrors. And, and it started to, you know, the family was like trying to figure out what was going on. And as they, on and on, he would talk about that. He would look in a mirror and he didn't see himself. He saw a stranger. Well, they took him to the hospital, to the doctor. They ran tests, and he had some, some kind of condition that's got a fancy name to it that mostly results in people looking at pe- people they know, their loved ones, and not recognize them. But for this man, it caused him not to recognize himself. They treated him with medication, and eventually he was able to look in a mirror and see himself again. You know, I think about that, and I thought, how often, how often do we not see ourselves in light of what God has said? How often do we not recognize our own actions, our own attitudes, and our own words based on what God has said? I think that's one of the most difficult challenges in life. Because I can talk about other folks so easily and see what they're doing and see how it measures with God. But for us to be able to look in the mirror and look, see ourselves and go, that's me. I'm the one. I'm the one who did that. And what I did was wrong. And I can't justify it. I can talk about how I might mistreat other people in the name of God, but it still does not honor God. I can talk about how I'm, I'm cl- I can claim God that's there with my choices and I'm doing what He wants, but that doesn't mean what we're doing is from God if we don't look in the mirror and look at ourselves honestly to see what it is. And for, God to, for God's sake, for our sake, We look in the mirror and we have to see like David did. See ourselves and be able to feel the sorrow for what we've done and make a change in our lives. How well do we see ourselves? When we look in the mirror, do we really see the truth about ourselves? And you made this morning need prayers to help you to do just that, to face the truth. And maybe this morning you need to make a choice and make the decision that you put off to put on Christ in baptism to become His completely. But if you need to respond this morning, would you come now as we stand and sing?